on the WWE podcast here on this Friday, January 14th, as we are, what, just two weeks away from the Royal Rumble, as it just feels like everything's in overdrive right now. Like, we went a couple of months or a month and a half without a pay-per-view, and then we got day one, which, as I mentioned on my last show, I thought was a very, very good, underrated pay-per-view, did not see that coming. We got the Rumble, then the Chamber, and then we typically have like a fast lane or a roadblock, and then on to WrestleMania. So, a very fun time to be a wrestling fan. And this is kind of like the playoff season. You know, it kind of coincides almost like if you're a football fan, except this one uh, lasts much, much longer. But um, today we are going back to cover a rivalry that is one of the most storied rivalries in the history of the WWE. And it's almost hard to kind of hit on everything in this rivalry just because of how much transpired and how long it spanned. And that is Randy Orton versus Triple H. And as I just said, it is near impossible to hit on every single part of this rivalry unless maybe you have like three hours set aside. And typically I... I cover rivalries in a shorter span. Like sometimes I'll even cut parts of uh, wrestlers' rivalries out just because it's too long. And for example, with Edge and John Cena, well, they had many more matches than just in 2006. But when I covered that rivalry, I stuck to it in 2006 just because of how much there was to cover in that specific rivalry at that specific time or Big Show kind of versus Brock Lesnar, stuff like that. But Randy Orton Triple H is one that has become just almost like a legacy rivalry because of how it all went down, how it all started, what each of them have become. Triple H may not ever wrestle again. Randy Orton's in the twilight of his career, arguably on the best run of his career over the last 24 months or so. And now obviously kind of relegated into the tag team division, or if you even want to call that a relegation, and seems to be on an inevitable collision course with Riddle for WrestleMania. But you could make the case that these two, in terms of heels, are top five of all time. You could make the case that both of these guys are on the Mount Rushmore, including babyfaces. I wouldn't personally, but I think that both these guys have solidified themselves at the top of the food chain in terms of heels. Like, who's a better heel than Triple H, let's say, in the history of the company? Rowdy Roddy Piper? That's a good, I would say, argument. But he never became a world champion. And, I mean, that does count for something. I know it's all, you know, predetermined and whatnot. And championships don't mean nearly as much as they used to. Because, like, everyone kind of gets, like, a a tour with it. Kind of like a, uh, you know, oh, it's your turn. Or a participation trophy. 
But Triple H has won so many world championships. I think he's at 12 now. Randy Orton's up there as well. And at their respective peaks, who were better antagonists than Randy Orton and Triple H? And that's where we'll start here because when this program and rivalry, and you could even say this is more of a relationship than a rivalry, when it started, you know, this was all the way back in early 2003. And it was during the Brock, uh, not the Brock, the Scott Steiner Triple H program. And Randy Orton was brought in along with Batista to be Triple H's cronies in Evolution. And it didn't take long to realize that Randy Orton was kind of being groomed to be the future of this group. I think he was 22 when Evolution first got together. He got injured almost right away. But he was back, I believe, by June of 2003. Took Batista a bit longer to get back to uh, in-ring competition. But we all knew that Randy Orton was the guy. You know, at Armageddon 2003, he defeats Rob Van Dam for the Intercontinental Championship. At WrestleMania 20, he defeats the Rock and Saw Connection along with Batista and Ric Flair in the three-on-two handicap match. He defeats Mick Foley at Backlash, the pay-per-view that followed that WrestleMania. And then in the summer of 2004 is where we really start to get the Randy Orton push going. But then we look at it from the Triple H side of things. And in 2003, that was kind of the year of Triple H. At least on Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, it was kind of like the Brock Lesnar-Kurt Angle year. But Triple H owned 2003 on Monday Night Raw. It was his show. Goldberg got a brief run with the World Championship at the top of the card in the fall from Backlash or from Unforgiven to Armageddon. But that was Triple H's show. And to be honest, people call it, you know, the Reign of Terror. He was burying guys like Rob Van Dam or Booker T, Kevin Nash as well, though, you know, Kevin Nash was in the twilight of his career at that point as well. But that was kind of a deserved run for Triple H. Because in the Attitude Era, he was the top-level heel, sure, but when it all came down to it, it was the Rock and Austin show. And even after that, it was kind of the Undertaker show. I think in the year 2000, Triple H kind of got his time in the limelight a bit, when him and the Rock really locked horns in the absence of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And him and I, him and, I wish it was him and I, um, him and the Rock were just kind of really bouncing off of one each other, dominating the top of the card. He had a short program with Kurt Angle, and he actually walked out of WrestleMania 16 in the year 2000 as the world champion. But aside from that brief period where he initially, you know, was elevated to the top of the card and Austin was injured and he had the brief program with Vince McMahon and he aligned with Stephanie McMahon, then they formed the McMahon-Helmsley regime... You know, as soon as Stone Cold Steve Austin came back, he was pushed back down. And obviously, he had the program with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin that spanned all the way till No Way Out in February of 2001. But when Rock and Austin were both healthy, they were the top two guys. No matter if they were both baby faces, if The Rock was the heel, if Austin turned heel like he did in 2001, those were the top dogs. And then after that, you could make the case it was The Undertaker. So Triple H was kind of playing third or fourth fiddle at times in the Attitude Era. But when those two guys left and The Undertaker was over on SmackDown, Triple H got his time. 
in late 2002, early 2003, well, all of 2003 and early 2004. And obviously, WrestleMania 20, he drops the belt to Chris Benoit. Him and Benoit kind of, you know, have a program all the way until June. Uh, I believe they culminate that on a Iron Man match on Monday Night Raw, which was a very underrated match, one that isn't talked about enough, but we all know for obvious reasons. Chris Benoit has kind of been wiped off the face of the earth in terms of the WWE landscape. And after that program concluded, Triple H moved on to one with Eugene and kind of um, HBK as well. He defeats HBK inside the Hell in the Cell at Bad Blood 04. And then he spends the summer of 2004 kind of like in a program with Eugene, one of the most infamous characters in the history of the WWE. And SummerSlam 2004, Randy Orton is the number one contender for Chris Benoit's World Heavyweight Championship. And Randy Orton wins the world title, uh, becoming the youngest world heavyweight champion in the history of the company. And the next night on Raw, he successfully defends and retains the world championship against Chris Benoit. And this is where the rivalry part started between these two. And it was when Triple H came to the ring with Batista and Flair And we thought it was going to be a celebration, but in terms of Randy Orton, it was going to be anything but. So, Triple H gives the, now, I guess, at the time it was maybe infamous, but at this point it's kind of like the famous thumbs down to Randy Orton while he's on the shoulders of Batista, 
and Batista drops Randy Orton like a sack of potatoes, and they just commence a brutal, brutal beatdown on Randy Orton. He's wearing the crimson mask, Batista bombs, getting hit with the world championship, pedigrees, and this was kind of, in a way, the unofficial disbanding of evolution, but in another way, it wasn't, because Triple H had a plan to just have Randy Orton hand over the world championship the following week on Monday Night Raw. And it was on this night where we finally got the official turn of Randy Orton. Wants him to lay down. Orton. Hand me that championship belt. I said hand me that belt, damn it! Now! just so weird after living through covid right seeing someone spit this big fat oh i don't know if it was a loogie but it was a good little or big spit on that on the other hand by randy orton right in triple h's face and this was the official baby face turn for randy orton and as we all know if you watch the ruthless aggression era uh episodes if you watch the randy orton appearance on the broken skull sessions This particular initial turn for Randy Orton didn't work. And he dropped the world championship to Triple H at the following pay-per-view of Backlash. And this babyface turn didn't work so much so that they kind of went away with this program for a bit. You know, they had run-ins like at Survivor Series 04 
Orton tagged with Maven, Jericho, and Benoit against Triple H, Snitsky, Batista, and Edge. You had Randy Orton, you know, try and convince Batista that, you know, Triple H was out to get him. They had the interaction in the in the Elimination Chamber match at New Year's Resolution or Revolution back in 2005, where Triple H would retain the championship as well. But this ultimately became Triple H versus Batista because Trip Batista organically got over as a babyface with the crowd, as opposed to Randy Orton, who was just always so much better as a heel. And it was always so evident that he was so much better as a heel. And they turned him back heel by February of 2005 to have a program with The Undertaker. And that's when this rivalry kind of went dormant for a bit. Because Randy Orton was not a good babyface at the time. And even now, like, I think Orton has reached a point in his career where he's such a legacy star and is probably a top 10 of all time where you trot him out there in any which way and he's over with the crowd. Like, as soon as he hits an RKO, people will pop. He could be the most sadistic heel ever, like he was, let's say, in 2020, and he'll hit an RKO and everyone will go nuts. And obviously, we didn't really get to see that because while he was on that historic run, it was in front of nobody, either in the Performance Center or the Thunderdome. But that's the point Randy Orton has been at for quite a while now, which is saying something because Randy Orton kind of fell into the abyss of WWE from 2012 to 2018, 19, if not later, until Edge returned pretty much. But at this time, he was being booked to arguably be bigger than John Cena. You know, he won the world championship at SummerSlam 2004. You know what John Cena was doing? Kicking off the best of seven match, uh, best of seven matches with Booker T for the U.S. championship over there on SmackDown. And that's not to say John Cena was irrelevant at the time. I think he was on a fast track to becoming one of the biggest stars. But if I had to guess, back then, I think Randy Orton was the guy, in their mind at least. But that failed babyface run in 2004 against Triple H was kind of indicative as to where he was at in his career and how mature he was at the time. And they put the belt back on Triple H a mere six months after he dropped it to Benoit at WrestleMania 20. And I really thought that Randy Orton was going to be the guy to kind of, you know, dethrone Triple H once and for all in the, in the Ruthless Aggression era, but that wasn't the case. It was eventually Batista at WrestleMania 21. So this rivalry kind of lays dormant until 2006. And in 2006, that's when Rated RKO was formed and they start to go head-to-head with Degeneration X. But it wasn't Orton and versus Triple H at that point. It was DX versus Rated RKO. And that only lasted a handful of months because Triple H got injured and was out of action for, I believe, eight months in January of 2007. So then that kind of derailed that program as well. And it gets shifted into, you know, uh, Shawn Michaels versus Edge versus Randy Orton for the number one contenders match against Cena at WrestleMania 23 for the WWE Championship. So after you know, exchanging pleasantries, for lack of better terms, for a bit in the tag team feud. Triple H gets hurt, and Randy Orton slides back down the card again. 
And at WrestleMania 23, he's in the opening Money in the Bank ladder match at WrestleMania 23. And there's kind of a theme that developed that over the course of Randy Orton's career, it always kind of took Triple H coming back and getting involved in his program for Orton to become relevant again. And that wasn't always the case. You know, Orton had a very good program with Christian in 2011 or the disbanding of Legacy and obviously in recent years Edge, but that was long past Triple H's, you know, final match in ring, which may end up be his final match ever. It always seemed that Randy Orton circled back with Triple H. And in late 2007, Randy Orton's the WWE champion again. And, you know, he beats Chris Jericho in the fall of 07. And him and Triple H find themselves in a triple threat match with John Cena at WrestleMania 24 for the WWE Championship. And Randy Orton retains his championship to at that WrestleMania. Which was a very big win for Orton, I would say, because it had been since WrestleMania 20 since he had gotten a victory. You know, when he defeated Rock and Saw Connection in the tag team match with Evolution, he lost at 21 versus The Undertaker. He lost at 22 in the triple threat match with Mysterio and Angle. He did not win the Money in the Bank ladder match in WrestleMania 23. So it was an important victory for Randy Orton to retain the WWE Championship at that WrestleMania. But it wasn't really until 2009 where this rivalry really kicked up because this is when the McMahon family got involved with the Triple H and Randy Orton rivalry. And as many of you may remember, that's when Randy Orton kind of started the pun kicking thing and Shane McMahon got involved and Vince McMahon got involved. And it was one of the best runs of Randy Orton's career, I would say. And obviously, I think the the 2020 run, easy enough for me to say, may take the cake in that regard, but him coming back in 09, winning the Rumble, forming Legacy, just taking out the McMahon family, and ultimately leading to this instance with Stephanie McMahon, is kind of hard to match when you really think about it.
So the audio doesn't really do it justice because the commentary was so eerily silent, which kind of played to it if there, you had the visual. But Stephanie McMahon knocked out, KO'd, Triple H handcuffed to the rope, and Randy Orton just slithers over there like a snake, hence the nickname The Viper, and kisses her on the lips. And this really kind of set the tone for their WrestleMania clash. And as Matt put it several times, it kind of made no sense as to why this wasn't a no-holds-barred match or a street fight. It all seemed kind of backwards here. And surprisingly enough, Triple H actually retains the championship. And him retaining the championship was one that I felt was kind of bizarre at the time. Obviously, Randy Orton had a lot more runway left on his career than Triple H. Triple H, I believe, only had two years left in terms of being a full-time competitor. But I guess that was because Randy Orton had retained the year before, but that wasn't one-on-one against Triple H. That included the John Cena match. And at this point, Randy Orton and Triple H, in terms of one-on-one matches for the championship, Triple H had walked out with the title, unless I'm missing something. But And like I prefaced the beginning of the show with, uh, there is so much in this rivalry and this relationship between these two competitors that it's almost impossible to get it all in within the time frame of 30 to 40 minutes but in big stage matches these two it was typically triple h in one-on-one capacities that would walk out as the champion But in the go-home match to WrestleMania 25th, or the go-home Monday Night Raw, there was a return of sorts of Triple H coming back to attack Randy Orton and Legacy. One that was very important in setting up the follow-up match to Orton vs. Triple H at WrestleMania. But it was Triple H returning to attack Legacy and Orton, but it wasn't him returning alone.
So the McMahons come back, and that's a pretty cool visual of, you know, Triple H, Vince McMahon, back when he was still Vince McMahon, not whatever the hell he is now, and uh, Shane McMahon all returning, joining forces to brawl with Legacy. And rewatching that clip, it's kind of funny, you know, they always have, like, you know, I guess amateur wrestlers at the time pose as fake security, and Keith Lee is actually one of the fake security guards in this clip from 2009, so that's kind of funny to see. I never realized that before watching it this time around. And obviously, as I mentioned before, it leads to Triple H versus Orton at WrestleMania the very that following Sunday. He retains... And then it leads to a six-man tag team match at Backlash uh, following WrestleMania. Originally supposed to be the McMahons versus, and Triple H versus Legacy. Batista, a returning Batista, subs in for Vince McMahon. And he joins the team of Shane and Triple H. And Legacy actually wins that match. And Orton wins the WWE Championship away from Triple H. And they would clash, I believe, one more time in the summer of 2009, but it would eventually transition to Triple H versus Shawn Michaels, who had been away since WrestleMania after losing to The Undertaker for the for the, for the first time, yeah, because then he would retire in 2010. And again, this rivalry would go dormant, and like I said, it's a rivalry, it's also a relationship, it kind of went back and forth a few times. As they would kind of cross paths again in 2013, 2014, when the whole authority angle started and Triple H helped Randy Orton cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase at SummerSlam 2013, and he becomes the face, he becomes the face of the company, what's best for business, all that. And it eventually culminates in which, in what I believe, and I could be wrong, but what I believe is the last match Triple H has had to date, which was Super Showdown in 2019 in Australia, if I'm not mistaken, or it was in Saudi Arabia, one of the two. It was Super Showdown in 2019, either in Australia or in Saudi Arabia. A one-on-one match between Randy Orton and Triple H for the WWE champion, uh, no WWE championship involved this time, actually. And Randy Orton actually defeats Triple H. And if all things remain equal and and Triple H stays uh, retired from in the ring, which he hasn't said officially, but given his wreaths and health issues, I would not be surprised if that is ultimately the case. His last match will be losing to Randy Orton, which in a lot of ways is very poetic. Because it always seemed that these two found each other. Over the course of 15 years, it always seemed to come back to Triple H versus Randy Orton. And we may have not realized it at the time, but it did really evolve into one of the more historic rivalries and relationships between two competitors that we will ever probably see in WWE. Triple H brought him up under his wing groomed him into become the youngest world champion in the history of the company and then took him out early on and they kept finding each other and finding each other main evented two wrestlemanias together one of which with john cena one of which without and ultimately the young lion randy orton was the one to potentially retire the old lion in triple h and i think they both have left legacies behind no pun intended 
as being two of the best heels in the history of wrestling, probably not just of all of WWE, but of all time. And you know what else is funny is that arguably the best heel of all time. Now that I really think about it, Ric Flair was part of evolution as well. And you could make the case that evolution is the most successful faction in the history of professional wrestling. Obviously, NWO would have something to say about that. Degeneration X, the Four Horsemen, even probably the Shield, if we're being honest. But Evolution, based on the fact that they all, at one point or another, were superstars, the least of the which probably Batista, which is saying something because he was red hot in 2005, arguably hotter than John Cena, closed the show at WrestleMania 21, defeating Triple H kind of unofficially ending that reign of terror for Triple H during the Ruthless Aggression era. You know, Batista was that guy. But when he is the lowest of a group, that's telling you how star-studded that group really is. But when it all is all said and done, we may remember Randy Orton versus Triple H as a top 10 rivalry of all time between two competitors in the history of professional wrestling. But anyway, guys, that's all I got for you tonight. And as I said several times, I'm sure that I've missed some matches along the way. But with Orton and Triple H and their rivalry and relationship spanning more than 15 years long, it's kind of hard to cover everything unless you have a three-hour time slot. But even that being the case, I think we covered on all the major highlights of Randy Orton versus Triple H over the last decade and a half, or you know what, approaching two decades at this point, as crazy enough as that is to say. And how nuts is it that it is almost three years that Triple H has not been in a ring and that we may never see him in a ring again? Absolutely nuts. Where's the time gone? But anyway, guys, that's all I got for you. I hope you enjoyed this. As always, you can get me on Twitter at adamarco25. You can get Matt on Twitter at wrestling underscore audio. Or you can email him at realwwepodcast at gmail.com. Anyway, guys, stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show. Or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE Podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.